Do you ever feel that you are chasing after the wind? Perhaps you are working hard for something, you are striving towards some goal, but keep coming up empty? The Bible talks a lot about this concept of chasing after the wind, and today we will continue our study in the book of Hosea chapter 12, and it's about the people of Israel who were also chasing after the things that the world offered. They were going for the promises that the world gave, uh, promises of happiness, promises of wealth, promises of achievement, but they did not feel that they achieved those goals. In fact, they came up empty again and again. So this passage encourages us to actually go to the right place, to go to the right source for our satisfaction and for our joy. Again, we'll be studying in Hosea chapter 12. I will first read uh, verses 1 through 6 and we will discuss that. Hosea 12, 1 through 6, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name, it is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for God. As we go through this, we will find that this will be very practical, and uh, we can really use it to apply to our lives even today. So it starts off saying, this very interesting phrase that is Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. Now, this is not a phrase you hear every day. I'm guessing that when you're growing up, your mothers did not uh, feed you wind for lunch very often. I'm guessing now you don't pack wind in your lunch box and take to work. So what does this mean? Well, the point is very simple and actually the kind of the absurdity of this idea feeding on the wind, which is a very ludicrous idea at its core, uh, shows that the behavior that they had was also very ludicrous. Why? Because wind is not filling. It cannot satisfy. No matter how much you eat it, then obviously you will never be full. There's no nutrition there. And so this is something they, they were pursuing all the time. It says that they were pursuing the east wind all day long. They were chasing after something but never getting it. Now, this is, a, of course, an illustration, an allegory that they were chasing after things in the world, but these things did not satisfy them. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks a lot about this concept. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1.14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. So Solomon describes going after things that the world offers, whether achievement, uh, success through work, uh, success through architecture or building things, uh, fun, pleasure, uh, women, all of these things he describes as chasing after the wind. That is, people strive for these things and find out in the end that they do not fill them up. They do not satisfy them. You can chase after the wind all day. You can even try to invent clever means to catch it, but you can never grasp it. And when you try to catch it, if you open up your hand, then there's nothing there. And so the Jews in the northern kingdom, that is Ephraim, were spending their time and their energy chasing after useless things, which did not satisfy. 
their spiritual endeavors, uh, building altars and idols, offering sacrifices came to nothing. Their pursuits of pleasure, trying to satisfy themselves through pleasure, fun, and thrills came up empty and gave them no lasting joy. You see, God created us with you we could say a void or a hole in our hearts that there's an emptiness there that only he can satisfy and he put that void in us to draw us to him like a magnet because he is the only one who can fill that void and satisfy us it's a little bit similar to adam when god created adam adam was alone and he felt lonely and he looked around and there were no companions so of course god made eve and it's it was showing saying that it was good for man to have a companion Men and women need a companion, and as people grow up, they seek for that companionship. And generally speaking, not for every single person, when they don't have that companionship, they feel something empty uh, in their heart. So God also put in us a need to have companionship with Him. And people try to fill that hole in their hearts through all kinds of ways, and they come up short, and they come up empty. Now, Jesus made a big promise. Jesus basically said that he could fill that hole, that void in us. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So unlike the wind, Jesus satisfies. He provides this deep-seated meaning and joy. He gives abundant life. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the thief in this passage is referring to Satan, of course. Satan is working against God's plan and Satan works through this world. And so through this world, he tries to entice people to follow after the world. And he tries to entice them through fun, through money, through materials, through a pleasure through sex, through all kinds of things. What is his goal though? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So the person chasing after the wind first receives nothing, but then actually uh, receives a judgment or a destruction at the end because that's what the world has to offer. The world offers total destruction to those who pursue it. If you don't believe that, then go and read Revelation 17 and 18, and I have studies on those chapters as well, and that is talking about the fall of the world's system. Those who follow after the world's ways will reap what they sow. Now, Jesus' goal is very different. Jesus makes promises to give us a full life, and he says that he will give abundant life to us. He makes a big promise, and he delivers. So do you feel like you are chasing after wind in your life that you keep seeking after things that the world offers and find that you're disappointed, that you're discouraged, that you're maybe even depressed or that you're lonely? Then remember that God put a void in you that only he can fill in order to pull you back to himself. And as we go through this passage, we will see that's exactly what he tells them to do. Now, if we go forward, we see that they were making a covenant with Assyria and that their oil is carried to Egypt. So Ephraim was playing both sides. Uh, on the one side, they had a covenant with Assyria, and on the other side, they still sought Egypt's favor through gifts of oil. 
Uh, olive oil was prevalent in Israel. It was one of the most sought-after goods from there. So the Jews were using their material goods to curry favor. But in fact, Egypt would not save them, and Assyria would be the very ones who ended up destroying them. So they were not trusting in God for protection. They were trusting in their material wealth, in their cleverness, and in their politics. What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in politics, self, our own cleverness, or are we trusting in the Lord? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. So for whatever situation you're facing in your life, I hope you'll consider this verse to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. They were leaning on their own understanding. They were trusting in their own wealth, materials, and cleverness to save them rather than trusting in God. Now, if we go forward, it says that the Lord has an indictment against Judah. Some translations say a dispute. He has a dispute against them. In other words, God says, I am not happy with you. Now, if you notice in verse 1, he's talking about Ephraim. Ephraim stands for the northern kingdom. Now he shifts and is talking about Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, most of the book of Hosea is a message from God to the northern kingdom, to Ephraim, a message of judgment. But here we see that he's also not happy with the southern kingdom, the people of Judah. Now, the people of Judah were generally more obedient than those in the northern kingdom, but they still fell far short of God's standard. So, in these verses, God is going through a brief history lesson with Judah about their past, reminding them of the humble beginnings that they came from, reminding them that they were established by God at the beginning, and because God made them, they were not self-made, okay? God made them, so therefore they should return to him. Okay, so here it says that in the womb he took his brother by the heel. That's clearly a reference to Jacob, their ancestor. In his manhood, he, that is again Jacob, strove with God. He strove with the angel, prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. There God spoke with us. The Lord is his memorial name. Okay, so here's a history of Jacob. Jacob didn't start off very well, even in the womb. He was having conflict with his brother, grabbing him by the heel. He strove with God. If you read through Genesis, his is an account of someone who is kind of wrestling with his own faith, wrestling with the people around him. There's a lot of strife, a lot of conflict. But finally, he has an encounter with the Lord at Bethel, and he comes to have his own real, genuine, personal faith in the Lord, and he is saved. So a reminder of the humble beginnings that he, Jacob, repented and turned to the Lord and came to have a relationship with the Lord. And if he did that, what is what about for them? What about for the people at the time of Hosea? Verse 6 says, so, so because you saw that Jacob had a relationship with God and had faith in God, so you, by the help of your God, return. Okay, so you also return. Your ancestor didn't start off great, had difficulties, but came to have a relationship with God, so you should do the same as well. So throughout the book of Hosea, this is the message. Come back, return, seek after the Lord, repent. It's an invitation, okay, an invitation to come back. So yes, there is warnings in this 
uh, in this book about judgment. God is going to send judgment. God is just. God is fair. All these things. But there's also an invitation from a loving father saying, look, I made you as a nation. I've cared for your ancestors. I've loved you. I provided for you. Come back and return to me. It's a gracious invitation. I believe that God is making the same invitation to us today. Even in the New Testament, Jesus shared the story of the prodigal son, right? The father whose son uh, took his money and then ran away and wasted it and ended up feeding pigs. And the son finally thinks to himself and says, man, I should go back to my father and I should confess what I've done. And so he does go back. And the father sees him a long way off, runs down the road, welcomes him, gives him a ring, gives him sandals, gives him a robe, uh, cleans him up, and gives him a meal. And so we see in that the father wants to welcome us back to himself again. And that is a very encouraging thing. So consider yourself. I don't know where you are in your life and your relationship with God. Um, I hope that you're walking with him. If not, the message is return to him. And if at any point in the future you drift away, remember that you have a loving God who wants you to return. But notice again, it says, by the help of your God, return. Not just by yourself, by your own strength, but by his help. Sometimes we lack the strength. We lack the willpower even to return. And we just need to mutter a prayer and say, God, help me. God, help me to return to you. And he wants to do that. The prodigal son made that choice to come back. No one could make it for him. We need to make that choice as well. What does returning mean? Return isn't just, you know, some, you know, spiritual or emotional concept. There's real actions that need to change. So after you return, he says, hold fast to love and justice. Hold fast. In other words, repentance is shown through action. If you return to God, then your actions will change. Genuine repentance brings about genuine fruit. Basic kindness to others, a loyalty to justice in one's dealings are, a sign, are signs of a regenerated heart. So how can you hold fast to love? How can you hold fast to justice? Those are things which you need to consider. These are things where you should pursue. Instead of pursuing the wind, let's pursue love and justice. And then this beautiful phrase, he says, wait continually for your God. Waiting for God is a theme seen throughout the Bible. And it may help us to understand that by first thinking about the opposite. What is the opposite? Well, the opposite of waiting for God is to rashly or hastily jump into something based on our own intelligence. Or perhaps something that God has not yet given to us and we chase after it to get, get it for our own. Um, you could consider a relationship, uh, marriage. Someone says, I want to get married, but the right person isn't there yet. God has not yet prepared that spouse and the person says, I don't care. I don't want to wait. I'm just going to do it by myself. And so they act based on their own intelligence, their own wisdom, perhaps looking at the outside. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the heart. And so a person says, oh, she looks good. I'll go for her. And then a mess ensues because this is not the one God prepared. God says, wait continually. Wait continually. Is this God's time? Has God given that to you? The Battle of Jericho is an example of waiting. They had to march around it for uh, six days before, uh, actually seven days. So six days, one time each. And the seventh day, seven times, they had to march around it over and over, waiting for the time when God would knock down the walls. And there's some examples in the Bible of people who didn't wait, like Abraham and Sarah. God promised to, to give them a son. And they waited many years, over a decade, but 
God didn't yet fulfill the promise. Keyword on yet. He was going to, and he was testing their faith and their endurance, but they decided we don't want to wait anymore. We're going to help God. And so then the whole uh, Hagar-Ishmael uh, scenario unfolded. A mess. And uh, they, yeah, they went outside of God's plan and outside of God's will to do that on their own because they did not wait for the Lord. Waiting for God can be difficult. We need to wait for God in many areas. Waiting for a promotion, waiting for God's timing in marriage. Uh, recently, <clears throat> my sister just got married this week and she was 45. Uh, so she waited for, you know, she wanted to get married from around the age of 20. So two and a half decades. And now God has prepared the right one. A beautiful situation. Hundreds of people came to her wedding uh, from all over the world and were celebrating with her. Hers was a testimony of waiting for the right time. And then God gave her the right man in the right time. So there's a difference between not doing anything, that is waiting with no goal. That's okay, I'm waiting here, I'm not doing anything. No plan, no real desire to move forward, kind of wasting our life while we're just waiting for God to do something. That's not what it's talking about. We need to be diligent. We need to be productive, fruitful, work for the Lord, but not take matters into our own hands. Be productive while we wait for him. So is there some area in your life that perhaps you're chasing after this thing? You know, maybe God didn't give it to you yet, but you're chasing after it. And it's like the wind. You can't quite, quite catch it or you catch it and are not quite satisfied. The lesson here is return to God, trust in his timing and wait for him. Now let's move forward from verse uh, 7 through 11. I'll read that here. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I'm rich. I found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. So this passage reminds us that sin cannot be hidden from God. Now, they try to do it. We see here, it talks about a merchant in whose hands are false balances. What is that? Well, this is a concept that's not so close to us today in the 21st century with supermarkets. We don't see that so much. But this is a way that sellers would try to increase their profit margin by lying about the weight of the produce bought. So they would use a faulty scale, which showed an incorrect weight. Of course, it showed more than the actual weight of the thing being bought. And through this way, they could scam people and get more money than they deserved. So if you've lived in regions of the world with outdoor markets, you may have run into vendors uh, that do this kind of thing. And my wife and I did before. We went to a seafood market in Asia. We were buying some crabs for a treat. Now, in the process of talking with the seller, we started to grow a bit skeptical about his honesty. And so we wanted to weigh the things which we, had, which we were about to buy. Now, the crazy thing is that... So, so we actually did weigh them at that vendor, but we were really questionable about what did it really weigh as much as his scale showed. So we wanted to take it to another vendor in the market to weigh it to double check. So we took it to 
uh, vendor next to that one, and the second vendor would not weigh it, and a third vendor would not weigh it, and none of the other vendors would weigh the item. And so we realized, oh, they're all in it together. Um, and so we ended up, we still wanted to eat crabs, and we didn't know what to do, so we ended up just paying but we, we did weigh it at another place outside of the market and we found, sure enough, it was very far off. So they had done a scam in order to sell things for more than the value. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just way is his delight. God wants us to be honest. God wants us to be truthful. And that deals with every aspect when we do business or deal with other people. Let's be honest in how we engage with them. Uh, for your company, God calls you to be honest in how you deal with the customers and how you deal with your boss. That, that is really to permeate everything we do. That means to go to work on time. And when you leave work, to punch the clock correctly. And when you're at work, to work diligently and not do other things on company time. Unfortunately, people are very sinful and they come up with all kinds of ways to cheat the system. Recently, I heard of another scam. Uh, people all over the U.S. were receiving seeds, uh, little packets, little envelopes of seeds in the mail, uh, which they did not buy. Thousands of people receiving them. And it turned out this was a scam from sellers on e-commerce sites like Amazon. Uh, and so the sellers would use a fake email address, a random address, and then they would purchase items from their own store using this fake email address, but a real address not belonging to them. But instead of sending the expensive product, so, so they might be selling a TV or something, and they would pretend to buy a TV from this site, but instead of sending the expensive product, they would then send seeds. So they would put a tracking number on these seeds, one of the cheapest things they could possibly think of to ship, I guess. And then the tracking number would show this item showed up and was delivered and then they would be able to make a verified review uh, for the item saying how good it was and convince people to buy it and then when people actually bought the item of course they would never receive what they bought at all a very elaborate scheme in order to cheat people so the world has come a long way from some perspective from the days of dishonest scales now, there are many, many more ways to be dishonest in the past. But people, they're still good at finding out these loopholes and exploiting them because people's nature hasn't changed. We need Jesus, okay? We need the Lord to transform our hearts because the problem is in our own heart. So more technology in the end means there are more ways to abuse that technology uh, for stealing in ever inventive ways. So the passage says that God loves to oppress the one who does this. <laughs> That's a very interesting phrase. Those who are dishonest and using false scales, God loves to oppress. So in other words, God is going to pay them. They will have a payday. Maybe a while off, but the payday will arrive without fail. Now, going on, we see Ephraim's attitude. Ephraim's like, ah, but I'm rich. I have found wealth. For myself. So you see the pride. The people were saying basically we're self-made. All that we have it's from our own, our own uh, genius, our own strength, our own abilities. They did not acknowledge God's blessing. They believed that they were the so-called self-made man. In fact, many people believe that today. They think that their success is due to their own strength and intelligence. We need to realize 
all the resources that we have. The environment we grew up in, our family background, our education, our physical traits, our mental uh, capacity, our IQ, our health, all of these are gifts from God. James 1.17 says, every good gift is from above. So when we're successful, let us be humble about our success. And that was a key problem we see in the book of Hosea. They, they, as a nation, they became more prosperous. The more prosperous they got, the more prideful they got. And they turned away from God and they gave themselves the credit for it. So for us, when we are successful, what should we do? Well, we should praise God. We should give him the glory. And that goes, more, that goes deeper than just saying praise God uh, or glory to God. It's not just about lip service or saying some key words. It's about our heart attitude. Do we really recognize that the success we have is due to uh, the Lord's favor in our lives? Do we really give him that credit from within our heart, even when no one else is watching? When we really believe that it's from God, that will impact how we react to success and how we react when people compliment us for those successes. Now, beyond just claiming that they were very wealthy, Ephraim also said, In all my labors, they cannot find in me sin or iniquity. In other words, I'm not only wealthy, but I am sinless. I am holy. They claim to be sinless in the methods they use to gain money. God didn't agree. He already said, you're using false scales. In verse 9, he reminds them that he is the one who made them. Verse 9, I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. Okay, I made you who you are. I was the one who established you as a nation. It's not due to your own abilities. So they were prideful about their materials and they were prideful about their spiritual condition. Uh, well, as we know, pride goes before the fall. So God is rejecting their claims. It's almost like he's saying, I'm your father and I know what you've done. In other words, I have been with you the whole time. I've been your God from the time you were in Egypt. I've seen all the things you've done. You cannot say to me that you have no sin. God knows all and he sees all. So that's the lesson from these verses. It is really a foolish thing to protest one's innocence in the face of God. Even the most righteous person will have nothing to say when they face God. Maybe you think you'll have a lot to say, but actually you won't. There was one person in the Bible who thought that he had a lot to say. That is Job. Now, Job is far more righteous than you or I. He is one of the most righteous people uh, who existed. Uh, he's the one who Satan looked around and found this most righteous person and said that he wanted to basically target him. So Job was very righteous. And Job thought that if he could just see God face to face, that he would contend for himself, he would explain his innocence, that, that he would basically win this debate with God. And this is what actually happened. The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. So God, after the whole 39 chapters, the beginning of the book of Job, Job is saying, I want a face-to-face -face appearance with God. I want to argue my case. I want to debate with God. Now the time comes, God says, All right. Here's your shot. Uh, tell me your complaint. And this is what Job actually said when he actually faced God. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no farther. So when Job actually had the chance to contend his case, he realized he couldn't. And so he very wisely 
did not. When a person actually faces God, they will be more likely to wet their pants than to contend with God and try to argue their own case before him. So, sin will always come to the light. <clears throat> Don't hide it and wait for it to be discovered. Be proactive and confess it first. Just saying, oh, I have no sin, uh, like Ephraim, is a pretty foolish thing to do. So let's take the opportunity to repent first. And if we come to the Lord and repent, he's very gracious. But if we come to the Lord and say we're righteous, then uh, not, not so much. Um, he will be just to us. Okay, going forward, uh, verses 12 through 14. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet, he was guarded. Ephraim was given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Humble beginnings, humble beginnings. Here's a description again of their humble beginnings. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. This was when he was running away from Esau. At the time, he had nothing. And for a wife, he guarded sheep. In order to even be able to get married, he had to become a shepherd. And he was a shepherd for 14 years for that. And then another six years for the flock. So a shepherd for 20 years. So God reminds them of their humble beginnings. Your forefather, Jacob, was a sojourner. He had to flee from his own home to escape his brother. He had nothing, no money, no home, no friends. He had to work as a hired hand just to get married. And from this man, God raised up a great nation. Sent them the prophet Moses to deliver them from Egypt, guarded their way, protected them, gave them the promised land. All about him. It's all the things that he did. It's by God's power that he made them a nation. By God's power that they had a country. By God's power they had a home to call their own. But instead of thanking God, they gave themselves the credit and said, it's us, all us, all me. I built that. I did that. They did not give credit to God. And then... Not only not giving credit to God, they gave credit to themselves and then kept on chasing after the things the world gave, chasing after wind instead of him. Okay, so then verse 14, Ephraim has given bitter provocation. Their pride and their rebellion were an act of provocation against God himself. They were offensive to God. So what will God do? The Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. So, because Ephraim is prideful, rebellious, not repentant, his blood guilt, that his guilt will stay on him. God will not take it off. God will not remove it. He will not remove his sins as far from the east as from the west. It will stay on him. He will face the own, his own consequences for those actions because he doesn't ask God for help. And the Lord will repay him for his disgraceful acts. Scary stuff. You don't want the Lord to say such a thing about you, that your blood guilt, your guilt is on yourself and that God is going to repay you for what you have done. If we don't want God to say those things about us, we need to come to him in repentance. So the lesson from this chapter in Hosea is don't chase after the things in the world thinking you will find satisfaction there. You won't. It's like wind. Instead, come to the Lord. He is the bread of of life. Wait for the Lord to provide for you those good things which he's promised. And as you wait for him, your faith in him will increase and, and he will fulfill those promises and he will take care 
of you. So trust in the Lord, rely on Him, return to Him, and He will bless you. But if we go our own way and we chase after the world, then He will repay us for that as well. Uh, it would be good for us to remember uh, Paul's admonition in Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? They were begun as a nation. They started as a nation due to God, God's work in them. He established them, but then they tried to go off on their own later. And it didn't go well. We also start, our relationship with God starts by the Spirit. Let's not try to finish on our own. We, we are saved by grace. We walk by God's grace. If we want to finish the race, it also has to be by God's grace. I hope this passage encourages you to return to the Lord and to strive after Him, not to strive after the wind. I would like to invite you to join us next time for Hosea chapter 13 and also to click that like and subscribe button. This is a very simple way to support this channel and the message in it so that more people can view it. Thank you so much. God bless. See you next time. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.